All right, what's up, Traders Point family? Good to see you. Want to uh, welcome everybody across all of our physical locations, those of you joining us online. And uh, before we jump in, I just want to acknowledge the fact, I know that most of you are probably aware that uh, the CDC made an announcement this last week about masks. And you may be wondering, what are the implications for us? And I just want you to know that uh, this next week, our leadership will be discussing all of that. And uh, we'll be sure to kind of let you know. And uh, mostly, I just want to thank you. I know that um, this has been uh, quite a journey over the last year and a half lots of opinions, and I just want to thank you for your grace, your patience, your understanding, and most importantly, uh, your unity as uh, we continue just to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, even though all of us have various opinions, and uh, so just appreciate that, all right? Well, um, uh, I came across a really interesting uh, article uh, several years ago. The title of it really caught my eye. Marked up birds become sexier and exude testosterone, and I had to read it, and so I read the article and basically what it's about is that there were a group of scientists that took some lighter colored male barn swallows, this is a bird, and they took a marker and they darkened their feathers. And when they did that, it actually changed the bird's body chemistry, boosting their testosterone and they actually became more attractive to female barn swallows. And there was a professor by the name of Kevin McGraw at the Arizona State University who said this, if we could go to the next slide. He said, other females might be looking at them as being a little more sexy and the birds might be feeling better about themselves in response to that. (laughs) And I thought, well, of course they do, Professor McGraw. Like you needed a science project to tell you that. And I'm reading the article and I couldn't help but be reminded of a time when my wife and I were getting ready to go on vacation together. We were going somewhere warm and tropical and it had been at the end of a long Indiana winter and my skin was looking a nice pasty white. Just a, had a good mayonnaise white going on. And so um, I'm not proud of this, but it's true. I bought a package of spray tans and I darkened my feathers, all right, for, for my wife. And and it didn't go well, all right? I'll, I'll save that story for, for another message. But as I'm reading this, I was like, okay, it turns out there's not a whole lot going on upstairs in the mind of a male barn swallow than there is a male human. <laughs> and see, that's the thing is that insecurity, I think you would all agree, insecurity can cause all of us to do some pretty unusual things. And uh, that's what we're talking about in this series. And as it turns out, insecurity is really just the flip side of pride. And pride is our Achilles heel. And if you uh, know anything at all about Greek mythology, then you know that Achilles was the most dominant warrior for the Greeks. The guy was absolutely indestructible and unbeatable, but he had a weakness. And what gave him his strength was that when he was a toddler, his mom dipped him into this water that gave him his supernatural ability. But when she did that, she held him by his heel. So his heel didn't make it in. And so as he grows older, uh, you could strike him anywhere on his head, on his chest, and it wouldn't phase him. But if you struck him on his heel, that would be his ultimate demise. Now, uh, you and I may not be able to relate to that specifically, but every one of us has a weakness or a vulnerability of some kind in our character that we need to keep an eye on. That, that we need to keep in check because it can bring down our marriages and it often does. It can bring down our relationships. It can bring down our career, our reputation, ultimately our relationship with God. All of us have an Achilles heel. It manifests itself in different ways, but it's the same for all of us. And our Achilles heel 
is just simply pride. Now, pride, not in the sense of, I'm really proud of my kids, but pride in the sense of, I don't think my kid's getting enough playing time and I'm going to give the coach a piece of my mind about it. Pride, not in the sense of, um, I'm really proud of this business that we started, but pride in the sense of my sense of self-worth and identity is tied to that business. Pride, not in the sense of I um, am proud of who I am, but pride in the sense that I get defensive and I even get angry when somebody maybe points out an area of sin in my life or maybe an area where I need to grow. And last week we said this is that pride, uh, oftentimes when we think about it, we think about somebody who's got a big head or they're too big for their britches or whatever analogy you want to use. But pride isn't just thinking too highly of yourself. Another form of pride is thinking too lowly of yourself. And what those two things have in common is that it is an unhealthy preoccupation with self. And when we get preoccupied with ourselves, and we're all guilty of it, I'm guilty of it, then we develop blind spots. And we lose perspective. We sort of lose our way. And I said this last week, I just want to remind you of it again, is that the root of every single sin issue that we struggle with, if you trace it back, is pride in some form. And this is why God's word very lovingly, but very directly over and over again, warns us about pride, our Achilles heel throughout scripture. In fact, it says things like uh, pride comes before a fall. One of the most startling things that it says, and we looked at this last week from Proverbs 8, God says, I hate pride and arrogance. Like that's a strong word. And you see the word hate, maybe that's the only word that you see, but please don't misunderstand. God is not saying that he hates prideful or arrogant people. He says he hates the pride and the arrogance that is within people. And I just got to confess to you, it's within me. See, this is one of the um, most uncomfortable things about my job is that whenever I put together a message series and I'm like, okay, we're going to preach on this particular theme, then God puts a magnifying glass over my life when it comes to that subject. I mean, I just got to tell you, like, it's like clockwork. Every time we put together a message series on marriage or I'm going to preach on marriage, guess what happens in my marriage? We get into an argument. Like I, I get, you know, uh, stubborn. And then I'm sitting there going, I, I'm not going to preach on this. <laughs> Same thing with pride. I mean, I knew this series was coming months and months. Actually, this was a series I was going to do before the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic hit and I pivoted. And then we came back to it. And I knew, I knew for 18 months we were going to do this series. Guess what's happened over the last month in preparation? God put your magnifying glass over it. And here's the deal with Pride. Is that it's sort of like weeding your landscaping or weeding your garden. You see pride pop up in your life in some form. And so you pull the weed, but then you turn around and there's just another one that took its place. And I just got to be honest with you. Pride pops up in my marriage. It pops up in my relationship with my kids, in my friendships. As much as I hate to admit it, pride pops up in my preaching and in my leadership. I wish that wasn't the case. I'm just confessing to you that it is. And denying it, minimizing it, or rationalizing it only empowers it. See, the collective teaching of scripture on this particular subject, if you boil it down, is basically God saying this to us. God says, I do not want you to think too highly of yourself. I do not want you to think too lowly of yourself. I want you to think rightly of yourself. And that means ordering your world 
That means trusting that God has our best interests in mind. So for every single one of us, we can choose the path of pride, which promises something that it never delivers. Or we can choose the road of humility and we can trust what God has to say about it. Because here's the thing, every time God urges us towards humility, that doesn't mean that he's trying to minimize us. That doesn't mean he's trying to minimize your gifts and your accomplishments and your achievements. Ironically, he's trying to maximize it. Because see, whenever we choose the path of pride, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, it's a shortcut to glory. It's a shortcut to purpose. It's a shortcut to meaning. And it always leaves us feeling empty. In fact, check out just a few of these verses on pride. Psalm 37, 4. This is a promise. God says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Like God genuinely wants to give you the desires of your heart. And he says, man, if you could fully give me your heart, then I'll give you your heart's desires. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The image that comes to my mind when I read that verse, you ever had a kid, you know, you're just kind of like holding them like that. And they're swinging at you. It's like this idea of like God's opposing the pride in our lives, but he gives grace to those of us who are humble. In uh, James chapter four, verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and, and, and who will lift you up? Say it out loud with me. He will lift you up. And, and then it says this, in honor. That's an astounding thought. I, I've, I've read that verse for years and years and years and years. This word jumped out at me that the God of the universe actually wants to honor you. That he will be the one to lift you up in honor. That's an amazing thought. And here's maybe another way of saying what that verse says. Is that God wants you to eat a feast from the table of purpose. Rather than settle for the crumbs off the floor of pride. God's inviting you to the table. Why, why would you ever pass that up? For just the crumbs that you get off the floor of pride. And ironically the path of pride promises to lift us up, but you play it out long enough and it'll eventually leave you feeling pretty low about yourself. Um, back in 2009, when Tiger Woods kind of fell from grace, he had this to say. He said, I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply to me. I thought only about myself. I, I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt I was entitled. I was wrong. And I was foolish. That's a hard lesson to learn. And all of us, we've had that played out in our lives. And now we haven't had the spotlight that maybe somebody like Tiger Woods has had on them. But all of us know that feeling. You see, humility means trusting that God will be the one to lift us up in due time. And I think that this is what Jesus was really trying to get at. In Matthew chapter 18, if you have a Bible handy... Uh, this will also be on the screen. But in Matthew 18, Jesus' disciples one time asked him a question that every single one of us asks in one form or another. Now, we may not ask it the way that they asked it, but this question's bouncing around in our minds. And they, vo they verbalize it in verse 1. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's a pretty bold question, don't you think? And we may not be courageous enough to verbalize it in that way, but we all think it, don't we? Like in every, even just subconsciously, in every room you and I walk into, that question in some form is being asked. When you walk into the weight room, 
When you walk into the boardroom, the classroom, the ladies' room, I don't know what y'all doing there. Now we don't walk in and go, who is the greatest? Like we don't do that, but we do walk in and we wonder where we fit. We wonder who has the most power and influence. We wonder who has the most influential voice. That's what the disciples are asking. Like Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And what, how Jesus responds to them would not have been what they would have been expecting. They didn't see this coming. Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, isn't that important that that's the first thing he says. Unless you turn from your sins, another word for that is repentance and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What an astounding statement. He actually says, well, y'all have an opportunity to be great. Just turn from your sin, humble yourself like a little child. You'll be great. And in that moment, they were not expecting that. They would have been like, Jesus, this doesn't make any sense. They, they were leaning in, looking for a promotion. They were wanting their egos stroked in that moment. They, they were wondering if Jesus was going to announce his succession plan and say, when I'm gone, such and such is gonna be in charge. That's what they wanted to know. Because they were always jockeying for position. They always wanted to ride shotgun with Jesus. And instead, Jesus <laughs> grabs a child. Some, there was apparently a child in the room. He grabs him, kind of pulls him over and says, hey, you wanna be great? Become like this child. Now, this creates all kinds of questions. It creates questions for me. Well, one of those questions is, is that um, for as long as I can remember, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid growing up, it felt like every adult figure in my life was telling me to grow up. They weren't saying, hey, you're great just the way you are. No, they were like, hey, you need to grow. You need to mature. You don't have enough experience. And so because of that, I couldn't wait to grow up. And here Jesus kind of says, no, it's just sort of the opposite. Here, here's another question that I have. Are kids really that humble? I mean, you just go serve in the kids ministry for a week. And you tell me. I got four kids at home and they are amazing. I love them. They are little blessings. The word humble doesn't really come to mind. I mean, when was the last time you, you, you ladies who've got really little kids at home, when was the last time your toddler just came in and said, mommy, you've had a long day. Just kind of sit back and I'll do the laundry. I mean, that doesn't happen. So Jesus says, become as humble as a child. And I just got to tell you, like it don't, doesn't seem, I don't, I haven't met that many humble kids. What in the world is he talking about? I think what Jesus is driving at here is not necessarily characteristics of a child. He's talking about the dependency that a child has on others. He says a child is completely dependent. Everything a child has is the result of the love, the hard work, and the reliance of their parents or the adults in their lives. And Jesus is saying, listen, you don't need to earn my love because you've already got it. You wonder if you have access to God, you got it through me and through the sacrifice I've made for you. You don't need to live your life grasping for uh, the respect of others. You don't need to live your life trying to exalt yourself. 
Trust that I will do it for you. Just be humble like a child and rest in that truth. I love how Tim Keller put it several years ago. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And with God, we have that kind of access. God is essentially saying that insecurity and pride is really a restlessness of our soul that we don't trust that he'll actually exalt us that he'll actually give us the desires of our heart, that he'll actually give us a purpose worthwhile. And so we, we cling for it. We reach for it ourselves, And we, we don't like the idea of being dependent. I don't. We don't like the idea of being out of control. And so we cling to pride to give us some sense of control. So what I want to do in the remainder of our time is I just want to throw out three empty promises that pride makes that it never delivers on. And so if you're taking notes, here's empty promise number one. Pride promises to make you and me bigger, but it always leaves us feeling smaller. Always. I, I don't know about you, but so much of the time when pride wells up within me, it's honestly at the end of the day because I, I'm wondering if anybody's going to notice my contributions and accomplishments. It's like, you know, I'd really like to be humble, but what if nobody notices? And so I kind of got to tell you how humble that I am. And so I fall into these traps and I, and I get really good at it. I don't know about some of you. I get really good. It's just this kind of the subtle art of exalting myself because I don't really trust that I'll be exalted any other way. Um, it's been nearly 14 years ago that um, God moved our family to Indianapolis and I got to serve here at the church. I got to tell you that when uh, I, I came to Traders Point, like this was my dream job. And he still is. And uh, I, I, you got to know that like uh, prior to, I, this was the job I'd always dreamed of. Like when, as soon as I felt called by God to go into ministry. And so I couldn't believe it. Like the biggest church that I'd ever served at as lead pastor before I came here was a church about 180 people. And uh, Traders Point at the time, 14 years ago, was one location. We were just under 2,000 people. And so I got here. It was like going from a Ford Fiesta to a Ferrari. You know, I was just like, this is incredible. You know, and I was just like, I got to get in there fast before real, people realize I'm not qualified to be here, you know. And uh, and here's the thing is that when I landed my dream job, and those of you, maybe you can relate to, to this. When you land your dream job, like you want other people to know, like this is it. Like this is, I'm living my life of significance. And here's what I did. I, um, when I was filling out my Facebook profile, like under the uh, description of like who you are, this is what I wrote, all right? Right at like, like one month after getting here. I wrote lead pastor of Traders Point Christian Church, a church of 1,900, and then I added the plus mark on the northwest side of Indy, 1,900 plus. Now, why did I do that? Well, because we weren't quite 2,000 yet, but we were well over 1,900 and I wanted people to know. <laughs> and every time I opened Facebook and I read that, I cringed. Because I just wanted people to know. And after, it was as if I just began to feel like this, this subtle conviction from the Holy Spirit, maybe the opposition of God. Like, man, why do you got that on there? Like, what does it even really matter anyway? And see, when I tried to exalt myself, I didn't feel very good about it. And after a little while, I, I, I took it down. But that doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with it. 
See, what does it look like to puff yourself up? What does it look like to exalt yourself? We see this all the time in, in our lives and in the lives of others. I, I was trying to think about this this last week. I just thought, well, you know, what are some ways in which we all try to exalt ourselves? One way is the humble brag. I mean, you know the humble brag, right? Like it sounds, sounds humble, but really you're bragging. And we get really, really good at this, especially on social media. I found a few examples of this. This is on Twitter. I'm wearing a ponytail, rolled out of bed from a nap, at the bar with my guy, and guys are still hitting on me. Like, really? Wow, you're so humble, right? Here's, a, here's another one. Can we start a media campaign to question how I got into Columbia too? I'm still scratching my head how I got accepted in demand answers. Wow, you're so smart. I just did something very selfless, but more importantly, it was genuine. And I know it means a lot to the person in the long run. Hashtag so worth it. <laughs> like, wow, you know, those are examples of people going, I just don't know if uh, other people are going to notice my humility, so I got to tell you about it. Here's another form of, um, of exalting ourselves is just the know-it-all. You ever been around the know-it-all? Like, there ain't anything new you can tell them because they know it all. You've been around somebody and you're just like, you just, you just look at me, you're just like, you know what, thank you that I'm so glad that God blessed me with your presence today. Tell me more. Tell me more, I need to be enlightened by your expertise. <laughs> Another one would just be the one-upper. Ever been around the one-upper? Hey, it doesn't matter what you say to them, they're gonna one-up you, right? You're like, hey, we're getting ready to go on vacation. Oh man, where are you going? Gatlinburg, that's nice. We're going to Cabo. <laughs> hey, we're getting ready to go on our, our anniversary dinner. Oh man, that's amazing. Where are you guys gonna go? Outback, oh. We just went to Ruth's Chris. You know, it's just like, it doesn't matter what you say. They've got a better story. They've got a better example. They've got a funnier joke. You're talking to them. You can tell they're not even listening to you because they're just uh, locking up the next thing that they want to say to you. And they can't shut up about their kids their vacations and their opportunities. So what do we do when we see people puff themselves up around us. Think about that for a minute. What do you naturally want to do when you see somebody exalt themselves in front of you? You want to knock them down. Boop. <laughs> boop, boop. It's like that whack-a-mole game, right? It's like, no, knock you down, right? That's just naturally within us. How about this question? What do you naturally want to do when somebody is genuinely humble, not a humble brag, not, not, like look, not like fishing for compliments, but genuinely humble. What do you want to do naturally? Well, you want to lift them up. You don't even have to believe in God to have that impulse. The question I want you to ask is where does that come from? Where does that come from inside of us that when you see somebody exalt themselves, you want to knock them down. When you see somebody humble themselves, you want to exalt them. And I would contend to you, that is the, that is your creator within you because that's what God does. There are 150 verses in God's word on pride. Now I will not go through all 150 of those. All right, you're welcome. But if I could just give you a brief survey of a handful of those verses that capture what all 150 say, it might be this. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 28. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty. That's just another word for arrogant to bring them low. In Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests, he detests it. He detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Jesus even weighs in in Matthew 23, 
And he's basically saying just this same principle. He goes, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a promise. So you either get low or you'll be made low. Those are your only options. In 1 Peter 5, 5, Peter was a guy who struggled with humility his whole life. He said, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Do you see a theme developing? I mean, this is just a sampling of all 150 verses in the Bible on this. And if I could put what God has to say in his word about pride and humility into maybe a a sentence from these verses, I might just say this, is that your pride and my pride, it is an invitation for God to oppose you. Now, I, I know that's a startling statement. Just let that sink in for a minute. Isn't life hard enough? (laughs) Why would you want to make it harder by inviting God to oppose you? Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that God is trying to destroy you. I'm not saying that God is trying to crush you. I'm not saying that God is trying to uh, dismantle your life. No, no, no. This is an act of love. God is saying, listen, the path of pride will always lead to a fall. So the most loving thing that I can do is when I see it in your life to oppose it because it's unhealthy and it'll eventually bring you down. However, however, humility is an invitation for God to bless you. And when you are genuinely humble, God, it's like the wind at your back. God wants to bless every area of your life. He wants to honor that kind of humility. Scripture just keeps coming back to this over and over again. But I think there's something within us at times that we just really wrestle with this. Like, is is anybody gonna notice my humility? And so when we try to self-promote, we almost always feel worse about ourselves than we did before. And so knowing this, knowing that God opposes the pride in us and that humility is an invitation for him to bless us, why would we ever choose pride? Well, I think it's because pride believes this, that if I don't elevate myself, then who will? And ultimately it just keeps coming back to that. Like how will I get the raise or the promotion if I don't make my gifts and abilities known? And honestly, we live in a society that sort of rewards that. Like dog eat dog, you better kind of get out ahead. You better stand out from the pack. How will I get invited to speak at that thing if people don't know about me? How will other people know about my gifts and abilities? Now, my, my wife is out of town this weekend and already it's already gone through my mind. Like she's given me kind of a list of things to kind of keep in order around the house. And I don't really like clean house real well, but I do pick up. Like I pick up extremely well. And I've already thought about it when she comes back on Tuesday. Like I, I'm going to like pick up the house so well. And here's the thing, because I've been through this before. When she walks in the door and she doesn't notice how well I picked up, I'll tell her. <laughs> okay, did you notice there's no dishes in the sink? I, you know, it's just like, <laughs> how's she going to know, right? But see, humility promises this, is that if I refrain from elevating myself, God will. And that requires faith. Like, do you really trust that God will do what he promises that he'll do over and over and over again in scripture? And almost every time that I reach for pride, almost every time that I try to elevate myself, it's because I don't really believe that God will do the elevating 
for me. And we just see this played out. We, we, I likely you've thought of your own examples. I mean, I'm sharing examples from my life. You probably thought of examples from your life. But even when we look out at the lives of others, I mean, people who are full of pride, we lose respect for them, don't we? Like just think about maybe people that you work with and if they're prideful people, you just don't have very much respect for them. Think, think about professional athletes. Like you can have somebody that is extremely talented but if they are full of pride, we normally don't like them. We don't cheer for them. But then think about the other hand. Think about an athlete that's really, really gifted, but they're also really humble. Oh man, we adore them. We cheer for them. This is this, this is this thing playing out in our lives. And I would say this, for, I want to speak to all the leaders in the room. Like anybody that is leading anything, one of the marks of all great leaders is humility. You'll just see it in them. Here's empty promise number two. Pride promises to give you influence, yet you'll never keep that influence without humility. You might get influence because of your giftedness and ability. You won't keep it if you're not humble. And we see this from a passage of, that we read last week. It's a description of Jesus' leadership from Philippians 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, that verse can sort of be misunderstood or misapplied. Like you might read that and go, oh, well, I guess I just need to be everybody else's doormat. That's not what that's saying. Oh, I guess I just need to devalue myself. That's what humility, no, no, that's not what that's saying. So what does that practically look like in life? Well, here's a couple of examples. Maybe instead of trying to be right all the time, I listen to that other person's perspective, even if I disagree. Instead of looking for uh, this person to affirm me, I'm gonna work really hard at encouraging them. Instead of wondering what this relationship can do for my career, I'm gonna look for ways to serve them. Instead of just talking about myself all the time, I'm gonna ask some really, really good questions because I feel like I have still so much to learn and I think I can learn from this person. Now, when we begin to take that kind of posture, here's what happens, everybody gets elevated. I love this quote from Harry Truman. He says this, he goes, you can accomplish anything in life provided that you do not mind who gets the credit. How would that change your marriage? How would that change your workplace? How would that change your friendships? If you're just like, you know what? I don't mind who gets the credit. I'm just gonna serve. This is what, this is what Jesus did. Jesus lived this out. Several years ago, um, I was at a conference and uh, there was a, a pastor um, named Andy Stanley who was preaching a message and the title of it was called The Most Important Person in the Room. And he was actually talking about the time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And he said something, this is about 10 years ago when he said this, he said something really startling to me. He goes, you know what? Um, at some point in everybody's life, you're gonna walk into a room and realize you're the most important person in the room. And here's what he was saying. Uh, you're you're uh, the boss now. You're the leader now. You've just been around longer than anybody else. You've got a little bit of age and experience under your belt. So other people are looking to you. And I know we don't often think about it that way, but, he, but he's right. At some point in your life, you will walk into some kind of room, whether it's a boardroom or a living room, and you realize people want to know what I have to say. Like I've got the most influence here. And then, then he said this, 
He goes, what you choose to do with that influence matters more than anything. And if you're just trying to get the glory for yourself, then it'll ruin you. But if you give it away to others, you'll elevate other people. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus was the God of the universe. And he got down and he washed the disciples' dirty, smelly feet as an example to you and me that there isn't anybody that has become so elevated or so respected or so much power that they can't serve others. That's what leaders do. They serve others. And it goes on in Philippians and it urges us towards this. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, who was Christ Jesus? Well, he was being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He did that for you and me. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And from that example, we get this principle that I shared with you last week. It's really the dominant thought for this whole series is that appropriate humility is knowing who I am and where I thrive. So God created me and here's what he created me to do. Why? In order to make a difference in the lives of others. That very generally is every single one of us. That's our life purpose. Now the specifics of that will look different for all of us. But you will never find your purpose in life if you don't grasp this to know that you were created by God. You have infinite value. He created you with certain gifts and abilities, not for yourself, but to make a difference in the lives of other people. So what are some takeaways for us from this message? Here's what I want to just urge you to think about doing here in the following weeks. I'm going to ask you to sit down at some time, maybe it's early morning, maybe it's late at night, maybe it's whenever, whenever you think the clearest. And I just want you to make a list. I want you to make a list of every person that believed in you. Every person that helped you get maybe where you are right now. Maybe somebody gave you a shot before you were ready. Maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a coach, a friend, who believed in you before anyone else did. Here's, can I say it this way? They served you. They washed your feet. They, they, they cared about, about you and they, they wanted you to succeed. They wanted you to win. They spoke living words into you. Could you just make a list of those people going all the way back to your childhood? And then how about this? Go thank them. Write them a letter, send them a text, give them a phone call, an email, whatever. Just say, man, you... You, at a strategic time in my life, you, I really needed your voice. I really needed you to believe in me and thank you. Now here's part two of the homework. Make another list. Make another list of people in your life right now and they need you to believe in them. Make an effort to land on somebody else's list of important difference makers. Just reach out, give them a shot, encourage them. Say, man, I really see this in you. I think God is going to do something significant through you. Bless them with your words and watch what God might do with that. 
Let me give you one last empty promise that pride makes, maybe the most important one. Pride promises you don't need God when you desperately do. Pride promises self-sufficiency. Pride promises autonomy. Pride promises, hey man, you can do this on your own. You don't need that. That's a crutch. It's a lie. And right now, there's somebody that I'm speaking to and you've kept yourself from fully following after Jesus and you've maybe got all kinds of reasons for that. But I just want you to strip away maybe all of those reasons and recognize that the biggest thing that's actually keeping you from God is, is your pride. And see, that's what pride does is it just crowds God out of our lives. Psalm chapter 10 verse 4 says it so well. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. So when it comes to your thought life, is there any room for God? When it comes to your heart, have you created enough margin, created enough room for God to work? And I just got to tell you that this is a never-ending struggle. Like I've been following after Jesus uh, for nearly three decades. And there is still that thing within me that wants to continue to just push God out. Like I think I've, I think I've got it on my own. And he'll continue to make me low and continue to break me. And it is an act of love that brings me back to him over and over and over again. About a month ago, I was with some other pastors in Southern California. And uh, we spent a day uh, with a retired pastor, uh, a man who served faithfully uh, for uh, 30 years. And we oftentimes hear about leaders who, who um, fail or flame out or make a, they embarrass everybody. But uh, there's also a lot of leaders who have run the right race well. And I want to sit at their feet. And so we were sitting at the feet of this man who's served a great church for 30 years. And he was just sharing with us principles and wisdom and just encouraging us. And, and uh, God really used him to speak something into my life that I wasn't even fully aware that I even needed. And it's kind of related to this. And at one point during the day, he, he made a statement that was so startling to me that I had to write it down in my journal. And he said, listen, he said, full-time ministry, um, preaching and teaching and serving people, he goes, it is damaging to your soul. I was like, whoa, I'd never heard anybody say it that way before. And we said, well, can you tell us what you mean by that? And he traced it right back to this whole thing. He goes, well, you get doing, you, you, you do this long enough and you begin to develop some skills and some abilities where you can actually begin to do ministry without leaning into the power of God in your life, without humbling yourself before him over and over again. In other words, you become a professional pastor and you become a pretty crummy Christian. And he goes, when that happens, that is damaging to your soul. He said, let me just give you an example. He goes, every single one of you know what it's like to stand on a platform, like the platform I'm standing right now, and to speak to a room full and to a bunch of people online a message from God. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. He said, there will be these moments, <laughs> they're few and far between, but there are moments when I'm preaching and it's as if the Holy Spirit says, move over, I'm driving. And I begin to say things I didn't even know I knew. And I can see it on your faces that, that God's words are speaking through my feeble words 
and it is moving you. And then this retired pastor said this, he goes, fellas, there is power in that. And he said, where you'll go wrong is you'll wanna reach out and grab some of that power for yourself. And when you do that, God will oppose you and it'll be damaging to your soul. He goes, you've got to continue to remember that you cannot crowd God out of your life. You cannot crowd God out of your ministry. You are completely dependent upon him. You take the gifts and the abilities and the opportunities that he's given you and you use it to make a difference in the lives of others. Now, I know that the vast majority of you are not in full-time vocational ministry. If you're following Jesus, you are in ministry because the call to Jesus is the call to serve. But take what I just said and apply it to your life. Where are you tempted to reach out and grab power? Where are you tempted to... Are you, are you tempted to read your own headlines? Were you tempted to make much of yourself? Are you crowding God out? Crowding God out of your marriage right now? Crowding God out of your friendships? Crowding God out of your career? Is it just a Sunday thing? And you, you give God today, but then you know, you've got the wheel the rest of the week. Where is it that God is calling you back to, to humble yourself and, and trust him? If you humble yourself, turn from your sins and humble yourself, he will give your life purpose and he will exalt you. Lord God, forgive us when we reach out for too much power and control, even in the name of humility. And I just pray right now that we would rightfully put you in the place that you deserve, the throne of our hearts, and that we would realize that aside from your grace, we have nothing. And everything that you have given us is on loan. And so we want to use it for the good of others to make a difference in this world. That is why we are here. That is the purpose of life. So God, forgive us when we try to exalt ourselves because that really comes out of our own insecurity. And give us the faith to serve for your glory and for the good of others and for the furthering of your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody says,